my favorite education books of all time is Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And in that, I, in that book, you know, he talks about this idea of the banking model of education where too many teachers think that they are the expert, right? And they want to transmit all their knowledge and experience and put that into the minds of their students, where Freire argues uh, that the student should be a, a co-creator or really the creator of his or her education because of ownership. And so that's what today's show is about, student ownership, student leadership, and how do we get there? So today I get to talk with somebody amazing, Dr. Lindsay Lyons, and she shares a a story that's pretty interesting of her uh, first few years teaching in New York City, what that was like and how many students would come to class. And then when she made the switch and when she made the switch to giving the power to her students and what changed. Hey, it's Daniel and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Deliver on your school's vision with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership, an online professional development program that bridges the fields of education and business. Courses include leading change, leading schools, and leading people. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Imagine a tool that allows you to deliver lessons from anywhere, which allows students to connect from anywhere and with any device. And it integrates with tools you already use like Google Classroom and Microsoft Teams. If you think that sounds too good to be true, I can assure you it's not. That's why I'm proud to introduce you to the Smart Learning Suite online. Learn more at smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. That's smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey, hey, Ruckus Makers. I am joined by Lindsay Lyons, an educational consultant who works with teachers and school leaders to inspire educational innovation for racial and gender justice, design curricula grounded in student voice, and build capacity for shared leadership. Lindsay taught in New York City public schools, holds a PhD in leadership and change, and is the founder of the educational blog and podcast, Time for Teachership. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, love your energy and, and the work you're doing. So this is going to be a very fun uh, conversation and I think valuable for the ruckus maker listening. So, you know, when we uh, had our pre-chat, you were talking about being a teacher and you felt like something was missing. And that's how I just want to set it up and, and you could take it over from there and share that story. Absolutely. So I think the more I think about this, I realize that I feel a a loss for kind of my childhood self and really early on my first years as a teacher. So I didn't experience justice-centered education until probably college. And what I've learned in my partnership, my collaborations with Dr. Sheree Bridges-Patrick is 
that when we're complicit as, as a white person, when I have been complicit in white supremacy, we experience what she calls soul harm. And so I want to make sure that all children are able to live as fully human, to repair that soul harm and, and live into justice. And so once as a teacher that I realized that other people were doing this work and I saw what was possible for me in terms of teaching for justice, that looked like, wow, I can teach feminist anti-racist curriculum and content as my units. Um, and eventually leading in partnership with teachers, with students, with families, I began to study the, the patterns and the elements of what was working in the schools and classrooms. And then when I started implementing teaching for justice and leading for justice, it allowed me to really bring my full self into the school space, into the class space. And I let my students do the same. And I also saw just exponential growth, things that I had never seen before, like growth, leadership, social justice skills. And so now I just want to help other teachers and leaders bring that vision to life. And I think one of the ways that's really manifested in that question we've chatted about is I have fielded the same question over and over from a dozen school leaders, particularly since 2020, which is how do we make our schools more equitable? And so I think that question really frames a lot of the work that I've been doing lately. Yeah. And, and let's go back to, uh, you know, what you're talking about in terms of um, education, justice, education and equity and like, you know, when you saw that exponential growth, can you bring life, like you said, uh, to, to what you saw? What were some of the projects you may have engaged in? And, and what was the change? Tell us about the change you saw in your students. Yeah, so the first two years I taught, I just taught for Regents prep courses. So it was test at the end of the year, which was true every year that I taught. But the first few is very concentrated on kids got to pass that test. Yeah. And so it was very much, I'm going to cram in as much as I can from this textbook of Regents prep because I was teaching in New York. So Regents is that standardized test. And I just had kids skipping my class. I mean, there were days where I had one student show up to class. Yeah. And then fast forward a few years later where I got to take what started really as um, an elective course that I called Introduction to Gender Studies. And I brought that into my literacy classes. So at that point, I was teaching ELA and literacy. And I, again, still had the test at the end of the year. But I said, let's just try this out. I saw joy on my students' faces. I saw kids who would never write an essay write like six pages of brilliant critique of some piece of media that they saw, the, their favorite song or something. And they, students at that point, I was teaching just the elective justice students who had IEPs too. So these are students who typically didn't have a lot of success in the way traditional classes were taught. And so I decided for the last four years I was teaching, that was going to be my class. Introduction to Gender Studies was my class. That was the content through which I taught. And all of the projects um, were really student-led, things that students wanted to do. I allowed a lot of expression for, you know, how do you want to bring this content to life? Show me what you've learned in a variety of ways. And that manifested in activist projects, in poetry performances, at one point to the entire school, and, and really cool stuff that I never realized students wanted to do because I had never thought to ask in the early years. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, there might not have been too many students to ask if only one was showing <laughs> up for class. So the funny thing about education and well, I mean, it's really about life. You know, sometimes it's like the simplest solutions are the answer uh, or at least start there. Right. And I, I love a question. I think I might have heard it from Tim Ferriss at first, but uh, who knows at this point, I listen to so many different people and read so many books and you know, get coached by coaches. But the, the question is, what would you do if it were easy? Actually, I think that's an alt MBA question. That's where that one came from. 
And to me, like, okay, so specifically with the pandemic, people, you know, students weren't showing up. What can we do? What can we do? We'll make it interesting. (laughs) Just do something interesting. You know, you're talking about preparing kids for tests. That's not interesting. They don't care, right? But if you start wrestling with the uh, challenges of their community and give them power to, to figure out like how to fix it, like you saw, incredible engagement. So thanks for, um, thanks for highlighting that. I'm curious too, if, if uh, since we're speaking to school leaders, you know, do you have any sense of like, what would be the next easiest first step that they might take when hearing what you're talking about and wanting to incorporate this sort of perspective at their school? Absolutely. So I think in in response to that question that I keep getting, right, how do we do this? I think my first answer is always build a solid foundation of shared leadership. Because I think inherent in the question is that individuals as leaders or even staff, whole leadership teams that are just made up of staff or the consultant or the, the PD provider like me has the answer. And it's just impossible to have an answer if we're talking about an end result of equity without the process of equity and inclusion in the process of making the decision, then we can't really have equity. And so I think the biggest thing is to just set up those structures of shared leadership. And I can talk a bit about how to do that if that's helpful. I think it would be. So the ruckus maker listening would definitely want to hear about that. Awesome. So in my research, I've found really, I think, five big student leadership or what I'm calling shared leadership mechanisms. And this is how other schools out there really on an international level. So these studies come from all over the globe have been actually doing this well. And some of these are even informed by what we realize has not been working for schools that have tried things and they've failed miserably. And so I think that's really helpful as well in the learning process. Uh, So one is to embrace radical collegiality. So this is a big term that Michael Fielding coined just basically to say, we as adults need to see students and I would say caretakers as well as partners, as colleagues. Uh, Not something that we have a one-way communication relationship with these folks, but we are truly in it together. And I think if you don't have that, then none of the other four mechanisms really work. Um, The second one is to build a representative leadership team. And there's a lot in what that looks like in terms of how big, who's on it, what are the ratios of students to adults. Um, But we've generally found, you know, 15 members as representative as we can get it with as many students as we can get is really helpful. Uh, Clarifying the governance structure, meaning, you know, who decides what? What is a decision where just the leader's making it or just the leadership team is making it? And what's maybe a long-lasting policy that we need to go back and get feedback from the, you know, the larger stakeholder groups um, and come back together and revise and resubmit? Um, Clarifying that is, is, I would say, mechanism number three. Number four would be using stakeholder research to inform decisions. So anytime we do like youth participatory action research was a big thing in my class as as a unit um, that we would often do for activism. But like, how do we make sure that the data we're collecting, a lot of times when we talk about equity, we're talking about test scores, we're talking about this quantitative data. And so how do we think about data as something more expansive, like self-reports, for example? Like how do we ask students do you feel like you belong here? You know, caretakers, do you feel like you have a voice in your kid's schooling experience? Um, And really expanding that idea of data and and making sure that each stakeholder group has the tools to actually, you know, conduct that data and give that information. And then the fifth one is super simple. It's just meeting consistently. So 
if there's a meeting of the leadership team, don't change the place and the time and at the last minute, send it out to students who, oh, they have class then, that's not gonna work. Um, so just to do it consistently is really important. And I, I would say almost too simple to not mention, but it's been reported in the literature so many times is like, this is the biggest barrier. So important to mention, I guess. Well, I think it highlights too, back to the sort of simple answers, right? Like consistently meet. Uh, or, or, you know, you'd, you'd be surprised at how many folks gather educators or school leaders and have no idea, like, what the purpose is, right? An agenda. Or you talked about governance structure and what's the, um, is this about uh, building consensus or making debate? Or is this a decision-based meeting? You know, I think those are all actually different things, at least you know, that's what I've learned over the years. So um, let me let me reflect back to you just to make sure I got it and that I think will help the ruckus maker listening too. But the five mechanisms of shared leadership, embrace radical collegiality, build a representative leadership team, clarify your governance structure, use stakeholder research, and meet consistently. That's it. You got it. Woo. All right. Well, you said the uh, the foundation of all that is to embrace that radical collegiality. So tell us tell us more about that, please. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, Fielding talks about it a little bit as like the, the idea that educators are actually going to be more effective in educating children when they are able to see students and families as partners, when they share that responsibility of student success. And I think when I think about ways that I think about radical collegiality, a lot of times I think about ways that it isn't operating and ways that I don't see it show up. And so I think about just one concrete example um, that I've seen where uh, when we were setting up and when I was a teacher, I was setting up a restorative practices uh, room in our school. And basically this idea was that anyone could be called to justice. Um, we would have a scenario where if someone had a situation in class where a student was acting up, instead of sending them to the office, we send them to this room, there's some self-reflection, and then there's an opportunity for that student to call someone else, either a student or a teacher to justice. Mm. And if that teacher is not willing to be called to justice, to even have the conversation with a student and apologize to a student, that whole program fell apart. And that's literally what happened. That school no longer has that, that program um, because you know some teachers were, were holding back from seeing that collegial relationship with students, which I think is so um, destructive to some of those restorative and, you know, repairing the harm practices. Yeah, well, you know, and if that's happening, Lindsay, in the classroom between teacher and student, it certainly is probably happening uh, between team members, you know, within a school as well. And uh, I would just encourage the ruckus maker too to check out like emotional intelligence resources, because I, I think that's what's at the center of that to say, Hey, I've harmed somebody. I've screwed up. I've made a mistake, and uh, and I'm just going to ignore that. <laughs> like that's that's terrible. And the other point I want to make as well is, um, you know, the the anti example is is powerful. We, I used to do that in terms of uh, teaching vocabulary, right? Uh, but also when I think of leaders, you know, study leaders who suck and not going to name any names, but you know, there might've been some in recent times and what didn't you like about his or her leadership? What turned you off? Uh, and, and, and if that bothered you, don't do that. Right. Uh, and that just helps you grow as a, a leader, um, yourself. So, you know, you're talking about that, that, uh, radical collegiality. And, um, I think you said like seeing, uh, 
parents and students as partners and that kind of thing too. So I just want to ask one more follow-up question here. Have you seen any sort of program or resource help that works um, to have a staff see the value, uh, the expertise, the knowledge, right, that somebody from outside the school, the parents, the students are are bringing? Because it's not just a, a top-down, right? I'm pouring into you all my knowledge and experience, but what do they have to offer as well? Absolutely. So I would say a couple of things. One is just how we structure our conversations and, and our partnership ultimately uh, with family members. So if we're saying things like, you know, your kid got in trouble, now we're calling you, here's what needs to happen. Um, that's a very different conversation from you are regularly and an ongoing basis welcome to come into our school to sit into our class lessons. So that's something that we did um, when I was teaching that school did very well was family partnership. And so inviting family members at any point to come in and follow and shadow their, their children and their children's classes, that was huge. I think also how we structure you know, our family meetings. So I had a teacher that I was coaching who did a wonderful job. Um, Shout out to Morgan, who was actually recently a guest on my podcast, who talked about how she had students record videos of themselves, what they were learning in the class in case the the family couldn't actually come in, because that's another thing, right? When do we hold the, the meetings for families to come in and have those conferences? Many of our family members are working and so they can't make it. And so she had them record videos of the things they were proudest in and really do a student led conference. Um, and then invited family feedback of, you know, what do you notice about your child? Are they lighting up? Are they talking about this at home? What can support them better? How can I do a better job? And so just having those framings for the conversation, in addition to just a more consistent line of communication that is two-way and not rooted in there is a problem and now we're talking, um, I think are, are really powerful. Awesome. I think it's a good uh, place to to pause and get a message from our sponsors Um, But when we come back, I'd love to hear more about the stakeholder research because you brought up an interesting idea that uh, a lot of people might not be aware of. And and I want to hear more about self-reports. Get world-class professional development without leaving your home. Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership helps you establish your legacy and deliver on your vision for your learning community. Since 2018, we're proud to have served nearly 4,000 school leaders from over 110 countries. We would be honored to welcome you to our February or June 2021 cohorts. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Ruckus maker. I want to tell you about a remote blended learning tool your school needs right now, Smart Learning Suite Online. As a teacher, you can create, store, and deliver lessons from anywhere, no smart board required, and your students can access and engage with your content from any web browser on any device. No matter what your classroom looks like right now, Smart Learning Suite Online offers many options for flexible learning, engaging students via collaborative workspaces and game-based activities. Smart Learning Suite Online integrates with tools like Google Classroom and Microsoft Teams, making it an easy-to-use way to create engaging content and connect with students. Learn more and get started at smarttech.com forward slash learning suite 
That's smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Dr. Lindsay Lyons, and we were talking about the five mechanisms of shared leadership uh, and really dug into uh, embracing radical collegiality before the break. Now I'd like to talk about using stakeholder research, and and you talked about uh, the power of quantitative, but qualitative matters too. And you said something that piqued my interest, so I know the ruckus maker wants to hear about it as well. And you said something about self-reports. So yeah, teach us about that because maybe it's something that we can... Absolutely. And so this, actually, I have a resource that is completely free for educators to use as well if they're interested in in this piece, in addition to the shared leadership piece. But I, for my dissertation, actually developed a set of shared leadership scales for students. And this basically invites students to share what are your perceived uh, opportunities for leadership here? And there's a lot of things I could get into in terms of the type of leadership that they have an opportunity to express or are taught. I talked a lot about um, positivity, inclusivity, and kind of a critical awareness. So a critical consciousness, kind of a Freirean idea mixed with the the taking action in response to injustice um, as really the leadership competencies that I saw as really important to ask students about. Another piece of the literature is just that when we're talking about adults, you can find, I don't even know, 60 leadership theories about adults of like, these are the types of leaders that we should be. When you talk about student leaders, there's really not much. There's a handful of researchers who are doing this work to say, this is what quality student leadership looks like. These are the the traits or the, you know, skills that we're developing. And it's such, I think, a fundamental piece when we're talking about leadership to ask the right questions and to talk about leadership in this very specific way because we could be educating leaders who are not quality leaders, right? As you said, the non-examples. And we we don't want to be um, doing that. And so in thinking about how I have built up these shared leadership or student leadership skills, I really tried to think about what um, researchers Mitchell and Sackney talk about in terms of capacity building. They talk about the personal dimension. So I think of that as what am I learning in class or maybe in an after-school program about building the skills for leadership. And then the interpersonal, which is how am I talking to my teacher about what I want to learn and how I want to learn it and where I want to learn it and when I want to learn it and all the things about learning. Like, am I on a, as a student or have my friends or I been invited on to a committee about learning or restorative practices or literally anything that affects my experience at school? And then finally, the organizational piece. So do I know anyone? Or am I myself a representative of the school governance structure? And if I'm on something like student council, do I actually have a voice in what 
happens, like what the dress code is, what the behavioral outcomes are that we're expected to uphold. Um, and those are kind of the questions that I was interested in kind of getting a sense of what students' experiences were like by directly asking the students instead of just teachers thinking about what the, how the students might respond. You know, I think it puts a heart to the to the numbers, right? And uh, it tells, it allows, um, if you're able to receive it, uh, to hear the story that students are experiencing. Uh, and, and it sounds like it really um, transfers a lot of ownership and power uh, into their hands, which which is a smart thing to do as a leader, uh, because those are the future leaders, right? So that's pretty cool. I don't know. I mean, I, we didn't know we were going to actually talk about this topic during our conversation. So if you know, like, where to get that on your website off the top of your head, we, we can plug that now. Or I can just say... Uh, to the ruckus maker listening, I promise it'll be in the show notes. Yeah, I can absolutely send it to you and and you can share it in the show notes. Okay, cool. That's the better route to go. Well, all right. Before um, we get to some questions that I asked everybody, you teased us with this idea of a resource that you made just for our listeners. And so tell us about this shared. Definitely. So it basically takes you through some of these questions about things like radical collegiality and the decisions to be made and just thinking through as a principal, you know, do I know what type of decisions that I'm making by myself or that should be shared? And I, have I communicated that, um, you know, what is required? You mentioned consensus. So questions like what is required? Is consensus required for this decision? Is it a majority vote? Uh, you know, how are we going about this? And there's several questions there. I think one of the best is pulling in this idea, Kimberly Crenshaw's idea of intersectionality. So it talks a lot about specific identities. And so if we can only have 15 people on the leadership team, who can be represented and what are the ratios of that representation and really thinking through the lens of structural power dynamics, you know, we don't just want necessarily an equitable amount. We want a justice-based amount. So if we're talking about youth and, and adults being in the same group, we've seen countless times one or two students on a group of 15 adults is not going to cut it because those students are going to probably remain pretty quiet um, because they, they can see that power dynamic is really shifted towards adults. And so it'll just kind of take you through a lot of those different questions. Beautiful. So that's a, a free resource that Lindsay created just for you. Uh, it'll be in the show notes, but also it's a bit.ly link. So bit.ly forward slash shared leadership worksheet is uh, how you can get your hands on that resource. And one more question too. So you got the Time for Teachership podcast. My just cause is to connect, grow, and mentor every school leader that wants to level up. So that means I'm in collaboration with you and not competition. So what can a ruckus maker listening to this show expect from your podcast? Ooh, such a good question. So we talk a lot about curriculum for justice and leading for justice. Shared leadership is a really common theme. I get to interview brilliant guests who are just the best of the best in, in thought leadership and practical realities. Every single week, I try to create a freebie for my uh, listeners who can take the theory kind of stuff we talk about and actually put it into action. Beautiful. Well, uh, you've enticed me, so that's pretty cool. I know you've uh, enticed the ruckus maker listening. So, Lindsay, if you could put a message on all school marquees across the globe for just a day, what would it say? It would say, think big, act brave, and be your best self. Mm. And you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. 
your only limitations, your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? So I love this question. I've been listening to your podcast for so long. I keep thinking every time I listen, I keep thinking of a different answer. And so here's my answer for today. The top three priorities would actually be beliefs that the staff and the the stakeholders who are part of the school would have to kind of commit to. And so one belief is that being neutral about injustice is really silence and therefore oppression. So we must actively teach and lead for justice. That has to be a conscious decision and commitment. Uh, Number two would be a commitment to radical collegiality. So just this idea, I am excited to learn from and partner with students and their families. And then the last one speaks to the work I think I've done with Dr. Sheree Bridges-Patrick, which is that being able to talk in a generative way about race, identity, intersectional justice is imperative for the health of our schools and our souls. And it requires that we constantly each do our own internal reflection and regular, you know, dialogic practice with other folks. Yeah, that's a great answer, Lindsay. And before we hit record, we were talking about the importance of mindset. And I think you you spoke to that importance there. And, uh, you know, there's this guy, Steve Chandler, who's an incredible expert coach. And he taught me the difference between expectations versus agreements. And I think that's also what your, your answer uh, modeled there is. Uh, the importance of those agreements because your beliefs, you know, um, lead to actions. So, all right. Well, last thing I want to say is, uh, Lindsay, thank you so much for being a part of this Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast and of all the things we talked about today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Just that setting up structures for shared leadership ensures that equity and justice initiatives are really sustainable and not just one-time actions. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.